Hey, welcome back to the Extra Podcast. My name is uh, Daniel. <laughs> what's my name? What's uh, my name, name is uh, Daniel Markin, and I'm joined. What, what's your name? Greg. My name is Greg Harris. I'm one of the pastors here. Good to meet you, Greg. Thanks, Thanks you, Greg. Whoa, and, who's that? Whose well, voice is that? Whose voice is that? I'm Crystal. One Cr- of the pastors here too. Crystal Taves. One yeah. of the pastors here. Friend of the show. Crystal, yes. when's the last time you've been on this radio program? seems to be like holidays when other people are gone then they say hey crystal can you join us on the extra mm. podcast so that is now spring break so that's why i'm here that's right that's yeah. right we'll see yeah. you in summer that's right if you recall <laughs> last episode jeff promised that he would be on here did he uh yeah. i was here last week when did he when did he say at that? the end and remember he, he is said not here he kept talking about Fortnite. i said jeff you know we're gonna have you on here we'll talk about Fortnite. oh yeah and uh, and how he played and well where is he greg he's on vacation he might be playing Fortnite. Can you play Fortnite on your mobile device? Actually, you can now. You can on your phone oh. now. You can? Mm-hmm. Man, you guys know so much more about these things than I do. We just wait till your kids are teenage yeah, years. Playing Fortnite. Yeah. It'll still be a thing. Yeah. <laughs> then you'll know all the cool stuff and we'll be out of date. Seriously. Do you, Greg, yeah. do you ever think that one day we will be better than our kids at video games? Like that's one thing, like mm. my generation, our generation, we could always beat our parents in yeah. video games, but- we, if we like keep our, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. sharpen, keep practicing, keep, yeah, like, keep our skills keep sharp. Yeah. Like our kids will never be able to take us down. Oof. I don't know about that because the consoles will change and the controllers will change, but stay somewhat up to date with them. Yeah, that's true. No, you know what? I'm going to go with history repeating itself and that one day our kids are going to school us in video games. Yeah. Technology changes itself. too quick. Yeah. I can't keep track of Final, all the things my kids are doing. Final offer. Yeah, we'll we'll come back episode episode four thousand of the extra podcast. (laughs) You and I will come back and we'll have a conversation about if our kids beat us in video games or not. Put it on the calendar. Four thousand. It's so it's taken us seven years to get to four hundred. Yep. I don't know. I'm not good. I'm not good at math. I'm not the executive pastor. I'm not (laughs) in charge of the budget. Well, this has been. an excellent intro to our uh, radio program that we have today. Mm. And uh, I want to move us into another segment, Greg. This will be a first-time segment of here on the show. Love it's it. a, uh, we've never done this before. I want to call this one uh, promo time. Uh, Crystal, why don't you go first? You have something to plug for us, the women's Women's? Is that conference. what you said? <laughs> yeah. Sure, the women's right? conference? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. April 27th and 28th at Northview here. We're going to just hold it at the church instead of going away. We alternate going mm. away one year and then having some here one year so that some people that can't get away or can't afford the money to go away can still do something. So yeah, it's going to be really good. We're teaching on breaking free from fear. So the Bible's kind of response to fear, anxiety, worry, that kind of stuff. And mm. Angie Tufnell and I are going to team teach. Um, kind of working through six questions and we're hoping to fill the sanctuary. We'd love to have it like, that's awesome. I know. See how many people we can get out. So we're ordering 500 books. We're hoping for even more than that. So what are, well, sorry, yeah. what are the books? Oh, it's just a, say. it's a little study called breaking free from fear. And okay. we're just going to have people work through that with us. It's okay. just scripture passage written out in a, it's a precept 40 minute study kind of cool. style that we'll be working through with everybody. Cool. Mm-hmm. Now, is it a whole weekend or is it Friday uh, night, Saturday till two? Okay. Cause they kick us out at two cause yep. Jonathan and his team have to get ready and that's right. You need three and a half hours, apparently, musicians. to get ready. Dude, musicians, yeah. don't even, don't get me started. Yeah. Yeah. And then after spring break, we're starting two new studies. So in spring, we often, often, 
often offer a couple of different options. And so we're doing one on the book of Nehemiah, which is um, watching Gospel Coalition Women's Conference from 2014, watching the video teaching. So cool. John Piper and uh, Tim Keller and Kathy Keller and uh, Jen Wilkin, a couple other people doing the teaching and then we'll do homework review and stuff. And then Kendra and Sarah are doing a class called Remarkable Lives. And it's just biographies of people who have mm. run the race in the past and encouraging us to persevere in the faith. So they're going to do like Billy Graham and Elizabeth Elliot and mm. Helen Rosevere and a bunch of different people. So cool. And yeah. those are starting in the... After Easter. So the August or April 9th week, April 9th and April 11th. And how do people... Register online. Register online. Yeah. If you just go under ministries on the website and then women's, then you'll see the page that has all our stuff. So mm. the retreat and the classes are all there. How many sessions is the retreat? Um, it's going to be uh, five teaching sessions. Six questions broke up into five sessions. They're like half an hour, 40 minutes. And then there's going to be um, worship in between and time for prayer and coffee yeah. breaks and cool. that kind of stuff. So just power through. I... Uh, yeah. So Sarah went to the retreat last year. Yeah. And Your wife. my wife, sorry. And uh she loved it. So if she probably won't be coming to this one because of a new baby, but yeah. <clears throat> but if you're out there and you're listening and you're a woman or you know women, you should go to yeah. this conference. It's gonna be really good. Yeah. And so. it's not just for Northview women either. We're okay. maybe from another church. If you're Great. not a Christian, if you're from a different faith and you want to see what the Bible has to say about fear, come and check it out. Love it. Yep. That's awesome. Just briefly, what do you think are some of the biggest fears that uh, the church faces? Just really quickly. Or is that too big of a question to ask? Well, I mean, there's always, yeah, I think just the fear, uh, uncertainty. There's so much worry in people's lives, right? How are their kids going to turn out? How are their finances going to go? Mm. Like, there's kind of different levels of fear. But I think a lot of women struggle so much with just knowing that so much of life is out of your control. Mm. And then what do you do in that situation? And how can you trust that God's in control, even though he's not showing you the blueprint, which mm -hmm. is kind of what like Jeff talked about in the sermon this last, this last week, kind of God gives you this blank piece of paper and asks you to sign on the bottom. And he doesn't say, I'm going to show you what's in it, but I'm going to show you who I am. And mm -hmm. so I think that's what the focus of the conference is going to be. Um, kind of knowing who our God is, even though we don't know the circumstances mm -hmm. that we might be facing, right? The more we know God, the better we'll be able to walk with him through those circumstances. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, that is, that's a good promo. Greg, you have a promo. Uh, what promo do you have? Um, so we, th these past two terms, so fall and then winter, we had a men's Bible study that was linked up with the women's Bible study. Yeah. This spring, we're taking a bit of a sidestep away from that. Um, mostly because the men's Bible study is pretty much brand new and we haven't really done much leader training yet. And so, um, in the spring, I've just invited guys who have already come to men's Bible study in the past to anyone who might be interested in looking at into what it would be like to be a leader. We're doing some leadership training, orientation kind of stuff. So nothing really in the next term to advertise uh, that's open to public. But coming in June uh, 22nd and 23rd, we are going to have the men's retreat. We're bringing bringing back the retreat this Let's year. Let's go, job. Greg. And uh, we are going to Camp Luther. And When, uh, when is it? That's right. I already said it, but I'll say it again. <laughs> oh. June 22nd like and 23rd. And uh, actually, Colin Fast, who's one of our pastoral interns, is, is going to do the majority of the organizing planning of it. And uh, working on some speakers, but we're we're looking at bringing in Brian Hurlbut. Um, actually, we're not looking at bringing in an outside speaker, although oh. I do, I do really like Brian. Um, probably looking at elders and pastors 
of our church who are going to be doing some of the teaching. So what I, what I find so much, even for our women's stuff is that people want to get to know the women who are here, the leaders that are here. Right. And Mm -hmm. we don't have an opportunity to have that one-on-one or small kind of group dialogue with our pastors often people say. And so those retreats are a great option for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it'll be, it'll definitely be an opportunity to hear from Northview leaders. We're just kind of trying to still figure out exactly who's going to do what that same weekend actually. So the Friday and Saturday is the men's retreat at Luther. And then the Sunday is our at the Lake baptism service. Yeah. So, um, North that was great how you guys could coordinate it because we've always been a little bit at the mercy of when that camp's available. And then now that you booked it all weekend, we get the Sunday too for the baptism, which is awesome. Baptism lines up with Hoik Festivus or once was once called Hoik Festivus. Now float fest. That's right. Uh, up in a, so the young adults gone. You so. guys are the week before, right? June, whatever, 16, yeah. 17, whatever. So it is. promo time. Yep. Uh, North yeah. Young Adults. There yeah. we go. We're going up to Asoyas. Uh, we, we rented an entire campsite up there, and uh, we basically we we drive up drive up on Friday. We spend all of Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday together, uh, spending time reading God's Word, praying together, time in worship, but a lot of time just spending time barbecuing. And uh, floating on the floating lake. on the lake. Actually, we're going to bring up some boats this year as well. Mm. Last year we couldn't have boats because the lake was too high because of all the runoff and the, yeah, and lots the, of flooding. Yeah, the flooding. So uh, it was flood fest last year. <laughs> this year float fest, but there will be boats, and uh, that's going to be June fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth. It's going to be awesome. People have to bring their own food and tents and everything then, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So They're on their own. Bring all your own stuff. It's basically just camping. I made the mistake one year of, uh, well, I thought, oh, it's a soy, so it'll be warm. And I brought a sleeping bag that wasn't really a sleeping bag. It kind of came with like a Walmart tent. Nice. <laughs> so this is an add-in. And Luke Friesen, who's our high school pastor here, he brought a tent, but brought the wrong poles. So we didn't have a tent. <laughs> so we just slept under the stars. And I froze to death. <laughs> I had all my clothes on. And I had my hoodie tight around my head so tight, like only my nose was sticking out. And Because uh, it, it gets pretty chilly still in oh, the yeah, in June. It does. It's a desert. Yeah. Yep. And so it was not warm no. at night. <laughs> Anyways, Float Fest 2018. Looking forward to it. There's rumors of a giant flamingo. Ooh. So I saw this giant flamingo online. Yeah. It looks great. I'm not saying that we got it. I'm not saying we did. I, I, I don't know. There's rumors. Rumors. There's rumors. And uh, that's the type of stuff that gets these things rolling. Speaking of rolling, let's roll into some questions. Mm. We uh, are in the series of Abe. We're almost at the end of it. Yeah, this weekend's our last weekend in Abe. Yeah. So we'll be looking at Romans chapter four. Which is full circle because we started in Romans. Yep. In the fall. In the fall. Yeah, in the fall we did Romans five through eight. We mm-hmm. skipped Romans chapter four, and people who are paying attention were like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! You did Romans one through three, and now you're doing five through eight. What's yeah. the deal?" And the answer to the deal is that Romans four is is essentially an illustration that Paul uses to defend his thesis that he had just made in Romans three, which was that the gospel is for everybody, and everybody gets gets into God's people through faith, and Abraham chapter four is, is essentially, uh, an illustration of what Paul's already been arguing in chapters one through three. So for us to understand Romans four, we're probably gonna have to do a little bit of overview of what Romans one through three was about. Uh, and then, and then look at how Paul uses this illustration, but we're wrapping up the series. So yeah. And it ties um, up that Abe series really well, right? Cause now totally. that we know his life, as you read through it, that Romans 
passage will become much more yep. clear yep. because we've heard about Abe for the last whatever, yep. seven, eight weeks. Yeah. And it might not come up in the sermon, but it is interesting to me how how differently the New Testament uses the story of Abraham compared to how often it's used in the Christian church today. Hmm. So Explain it. What do you mean? So in the New Testament, Paul uses Abraham as an illustration that everyone is, is truly one of God's children through their faith um, and that you get access to the promise, which is ultimately God himself and and being one of his children and dwelling with him for eternity. You, you get that promise through your faith. And yet what we have most, um, I don't know, most commonly. normally, commonly in, in the Christian church today is using Abraham as an example of what I talked about in the first sermon of Narsa Jesus, mm. of of Abraham had faith and God gave him this, this destiny of what his future was going to be, which was flourishing and prosperity and, and notoriety and popularity and a legacy. And people often take the story of Abraham now to be a example of, see, God wants to take whatever dream you have and he wants to turn that into Mm. your destiny. And he wants to just like Abraham had faith that God would do something big in his life. You also need to have faith that God's going to do something big in your life. But it was God that gave him the dream and God that gave him the vision. And it wasn't Abraham's dream or vision at all to be a father of a nation and all these pieces. And it's, and I just love how Paul uses Abraham as, as just cutting down to the, the, the basics of what it means to be incorporated into God's people, which Mm -hmm. is through faith alone, that, that it's demonstrating by, you demonstrate with your, your behavior after you've made a decision to have faith in, in God, and then you match it with your, your actions. And so, so yeah, it'll be interesting to walk through Romans for this weekend. Well, here's my question then. And I guess this is kind of hinting towards next week, but we can talk about it now. Um, what do we do with Abraham's unfaith and his unbelief and his rebellion against God and deceiving Abimelech and deceiving Pharaoh Mm -hmm. and he's not placing his faith in God? How do we say he's righteous? Yeah. So what's interesting about, we've made a really strong commitment in this sermon series to run with a narrative. I think a true narrative that Abraham is, is just a normal dude Mm -hmm. who God chose to, to work through for salvation history purposes. And so he wasn't perfect. He had his, he had his moments of where he shined and he looked like that Abraham that we all kind of envision and idolize almost. And then there are moments when he looks like just some normal dude who gets it wrong all the time. And what's interesting is in Romans four, um, Paul, Paul presents Abraham as a guy who almost seems like he never made any mistakes ever. If you can read Romans four and be like, we just heard, we just heard from our, our preaching team for like a few months, how Abraham is a mixed bag. And yet in Romans four, the language that Paul uses, um, verse 18 of Romans four against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be without weakening in his faith. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead yet. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. So Hmm. you can hear that language of there's no wavering. He's fully persuaded. There's like, you can read that and think, man, he, he never made a mistake, but 
that's not actually the argument Paul's making. He's not saying Abraham never made mistakes along the way or what he's saying is he still had this viewpoint that God's going to accomplish what God told me he was going to accomplish. And for Paul, Romans four is all about the fact that Abraham had faith in God and then it was credited to him. Righteousness was credited to him because of his faith. And it's in that way that Abraham is the example of everyone who would come after him, not just through his family tree, but through those who would also have faith in him. So I, I think it's unfair to read into Romans four, this idea of Abraham never making any mistakes. Cause that's not what Paul's not trying to sugarcoat when Abraham lied about his wife being his sister. He's, he's just running with the idea that Abraham had faith, even though at that time there was no guarantee that, right. That the contract wasn't written about how God was going to do this yet. Abraham still left Ur because he was given this promise. He still trusted that God would provide a son for him. And that that's what this past weekend, the sermon was basically demonstrating us, demonstrating to us the moment when Abraham had an opportunity to make good with his actions on what he believed to be true about God, which was, you know, being willing to go and he actually trusting that God would, would provide for him and trust that Isaac would be okay after all of this scenario plays out. So Crystal, you get anything to that? Um, just like in general, like contrast is always between like faith and work saving mm-hmm. us. Right. And so in the Abraham story is basically saying he didn't do anything to deserve this. He just trusted in the promise that God gave him. And so I'm not exactly sure if that fits in with Romans, but I know in other passages, like in Hebrews 11 mm-hmm. and stuff, that's the piece that they're trying to draw out that it's not that Abraham actually deserved anything that he was part of this promise, but because God reached out to him and he responded in faith. And so that, I mean, that same wording is used way back in Genesis 15, where he's initially kind of granted that it says he believed the Lord, Genesis 15, six, about the offspring, about the fact that he would have a son and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. So this righteousness was kind of given to him based on the fact that he placed his trust. But we all know we place our trust in Jesus and that doesn't mean we don't still waver because there's uncertainty that comes our way and things that, um, yeah, that we try to handle in our own strength. Right. And so I think even just walking through that with the story of Abe has been an encouragement to all of us that, okay, yes, we've Mm. messed up again and we have let our eyes go off the Lord again. We've been like Peter seeing the waves instead of Jesus, right? But we can just confess and and Mm. get back on with God's side and continue forward. He doesn't count us now as unrighteous Mm. because of this, right? We're still trusting in him and we're still trying to follow him with all our strength. So, Because the way I think about it is, um, so for example, Mormonism, in order to be righteous, you must do all of these things. Yeah. And you, and as soon as you mess up and you're like, you demonstrate your unrepentance, then you are no longer righteous and you have to, again, your repentance, try to be righteous. Uh, that's not what you're referring to. No, no. So how can someone mess up and still be righteous? I guess is my, just to push that question further. And again, well, we're covered with Jesus's, like it's his perfection that we're covered with, right? If we place our trust in him, if we completely walk away and continue to refuse to repent, right? If we're walking away further and further from God and we're allowing our conscience to be seared and we're not going to listen, we can walk away from that kind of righteousness. But in, if we stay within, you know, trying to follow God, repent, come back to faith or come back, you know, repent of our sins and ask him to forgive us and continue to try walking in faithfulness, that righteousness doesn't leave us. We don't like, it's not like we have a check and balance on our ledger spreadsheet mm-hmm. saying, oh, too many minuses and not enough pluses. Yep. Right? We're just covered unless we can, can, unless we just consistently walk away and refuse. If our hearts get hard, and mm. we refuse to listen and right. come back. Right. Yeah. It's interesting that in this 
again, Romans four is on my mind because of this weekend coming up. And it's interesting the the how how Paul says, okay, so in the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, one of the narratives that was developed by the Jewish people was that Abraham was was perfectly obedient. And so God blessed his perfect obedience. And that's that's why Abraham's the father of faith. And there's some ancient writings you can look at that that make basically that case. And yet, so what you have in Romans 4 is Paul kind of counteracting a contemporary Jewish understanding of Abraham, mm-hmm. or at least one of the contemporary Jewish understandings of, of the story of Abraham. And, and Paul basically asking the question, okay, what was the order again? Like, yeah. w- was he circumcised and then declared righteous? Because circumcision was the outward sign of, of the covenant. Yeah. So, so did, did he obey what first, God asked him yeah. to do first and then he was credited as righteousness or was he credited as righteousness and then obeyed? Yeah. And, and Paul's making the case. No, it, like it wasn't after he obeyed that he was called righteous. It was before he obeyed that he was called righteous. Yeah, which, before which is, the works ever, before yeah. he started working. Right, it's just when he started trusting in or, Yeah. Cause Paul Paul's, Paul's whole argument as is if it was on the basis of his works, then you can't call it grace. No. Because then that's just you getting paid what you earned. That's just a worker deserving his wages. But if he was credited as righteous before his obedience, well, now now you know what grace is. Grace is being given something good that you didn't actually do anything to deserve. And that's why Abraham's the father of faith for for not just a an ethnic national people. He's He's the father of those who have faith in God. And so it's, it'll be, yeah, I think it'll be a really great end to the, the sermon series in terms of helping us think through the story of Abe well. Mm-hmm. And tie it all together. Uh, Crystal, before this, before we launched this live radio show, we, uh, <laughs> we were talking about Lot. Yeah. Cause there's a verse that talks about Lot being righteous. Yeah. Uh, explain that one to me because when we last see Lot in the city of Sodom, he kind of is a dirt bag. And he's telling his daughters that he's offering up his dollars to the to the mob. Mm. Um, how how is that guy seen as righteous? Yeah, so this is Second Peter chapter two, um, and starting at verse. Well, it's, the whole point of this whole paragraph in this is that God can spare the godly, and He will judge the ungodly. And so, as part of that, He talks about Noah's situation, and then talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, and then verse seven it says. Uh, and if he, which is God, rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And so, yeah, the question is, how do we understand Lot being declared as righteous? Mm. So when you talked on this in Sodom and Gomorrah in Tri-City, did mm. you deal with that part at all or not? I didn't. You didn't? I yeah. punted it. Yeah. Uh, I punted this nice one. Nice work, Greg. It's great. You like that? Yeah, I like Very that. You just, you just punt that. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's, again, this idea that righteousness isn't deserved by us. Right. Um, that God went in there and he rescued him from the situation that he was in. Obviously, he had some warmth towards God in the sense that he was the only one that allowed the angels to, you know, be hospitable and wanted to protect them and save them in his mm-hmm. household. Um, but it doesn't mean that he was a perfect guy either. But somehow what the author, what for, what Peter is saying here is that God rescued him out of that midst of that situation. And so he can do the same for all those who mm-hmm. are part of his family, mm-hmm. all those who are considered righteous. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and in the context of of Second uh, Peter two, P- Peter's talking mostly about judgment. Yeah, he's talking mostly about the the judgment that's going to come because people are saying, "Is there actually going to be a judgment coming?" It doesn't seem like it. Like you, God's you, waiting. God's yes, waiting. And yeah. so, like, oh, do you forget? And Peter's point is, no, no, like the time of Noah, people were judged. They, yep. they were just going through their life as normal, but the people were were judged. In Sodom and Gomorrah, they thought judgment was going wasn't going to come, but it it did come. And so if God and the language in Second Peter uh, two six is that if uh, that, that God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what was going to happen to the ungodly. And then he talks about Lot in contrast to the men of Sodom to say, look, Lot, Lot was a different kind of sinner than the Sodomites were be- because Lot showed contrasting his actions to the Sodom, the men of Sodom, that, that he was actually had this, like you said, this, this warmth to, to the, the value of people and humanity by his desiring to save the guests that he had taken in. And so he demonstrated righteousness. But but if we try to read into that language of of Lot was a righteous man, and then we we impose on that that um language, this idea that Lot was saved because he was righteous yeah, no. is just missing the thrust of what Peter's trying to do. Because mm-hmm. Peter's trying to say, look, the destruction's coming to the ungodly. Look at in the days of Noah, look at Sodom and Gomorrah. But remember, God will save people. So if they put their so, trust in him and if they let totally. them lead them out of the city, right? So like, yeah. The yeah. thrust of the passage is one of of looking at examples of God's judgment as as a rationale for believing that God will judge again in the future. Yeah, because ultimately Lot's faith, it proves his faith because his wife goes back Yeah, and, right. and dies. Right. And he ends up trusting in God. Yep. As much as he did it falteringly and needed to be encouraged and grabbed. Yeah. I mean, that's what God Dragged does for all of us, yeah. right? Because we, are, we yeah. push back against things and he needs to drag us along yeah. sometimes. We like but, sin too much. Yeah. And he drags us away kicking and screaming. And that's or why. we like the certainty of something rather than the uncertainty, totally. right? right? Even if it's, yeah, a bad thing. Because we can control it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which kind of comes full circle back to some of that fear conversation, right? Of yeah. the of your conference coming up, the, the women's the, the reason why why people choose worry is because it gives them a sense of control. Yeah, right. You have some input or some yeah. What the way you do something is going to affect the future, right? And right? I'm not I'm not speaking of of worry. I know that there's there's legitimate issues of, of anxiety being a mental health thing that yeah. needs support. But, but I'm, I'm saying it worry in the sense that I struggle with worry yeah. that sometimes it's, I find it more convenient to worry because it's something I can control than trusting God in the midst of the circumstance, because now I'm choosing to take the hands off of the situation. Yeah. And so, yeah, the certainty, even if it's not great, we'll gravitate towards because we like the certainty. Yeah. yeah. The unknown think- is scary. I think that's one of the things that why theology matters is theology matters because when we go through those periods of worry, we can actually rest on our belief about who God is and who he said he's, he will always be. And that can be our rock and foundation during um, those difficult periods of our lives. Yeah. Or think about like in a death in a family and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, do you want, you want a God who actually has a foundation and there is a theology that backs that up and there's an understanding because that's that's what's going to be your rock in the storm. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole 
kind of scriptural emphasis is just to hold on, like in the midst of the unknown, like the whole book of Hebrews just says like, hold fast, right? Yeah. Mm. You don't know what's coming, but just hold on. It makes me think mm. of like water skiing and trying to get up and you're like, have your eyes closed and you got all this water kind of squirting against your face. Bend but your you're, knees! I, Bend you're like, your I don't knees! know what else I'm doing, but I'm holding on. But that's somehow, sometimes the way you are in the midst of situations, mm. right? You don't know where you're going or what's happening, mm. but you just want to hold on to God. And mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's awesome. Well, I got here, we got one last question. And this was sent in, and uh, it's kind of a controversial one, guys. Ooh. Ready? I'm ready. I've come across. This one's sent in from a listener. His name is Steve. Hi, Steve. Steve, he's a friend of the show. And uh, he says, I've come across a couple articles from some prominent teachers, John Piper and John MacArthur, for example, that seem to be saying that a church service on a Saturday isn't the best. Hmm. They didn't go as far to say as it's sinful, but that Sunday really is better and should be that preferred day for worship. So here's the question. As someone who's always gone to the Saturday night service, this struck me as odd. What is their issue with the church on a Saturday? How would Northview defend biblically against the idea that Saturday really isn't great for a church service? So I think part of the concern, I don't know, I haven't seen Piper's stuff or... Um Who's the other guy? John MacArthur. John MacArthur, yeah. I haven't seen this stuff, but I think part of it could be it is, um, there is like a Judaism element in the church, like people that want to go back to Jewish roots kind of stuff and to Passover. And so because Passover was celebrated on Saturday, or not Passover, I mean, the Sabbath was mm. on the Saturday, there's kind of a pull in some congregations to say we want to be uh, like our Jewish forefathers. And so we want to go back to kind of Jewish ways of doing things. And so... That can be concerning for people who are concerned then that the gospel gets lost in the midst of that. Because we're not Jews, we're actually Gentiles, and we're not following the Old Testament law. And mm. if we go back to following these kind of things, it could lose we could lose the gospel message. Um, when the Christians kind of early church time saw themselves as being a separate religion from the Jews. Like originally they kind of just saw themselves as being an offset of the Jewish religion. And so they kept worshiping at the temple, but then after a while they are kicked out of the temple. And um, as early as like in the night, in the fifties, like 50 AD in first Corinthians 16, it talks about them worshiping on the first day of the week, which is the Sunday, which is a different day than the Jews did. So they, they instituted a new day of worship, which was Sunday um, way back like 20 years only after Christ died, because they saw this as being a new thing, a new faith, um, that they were going to celebrate the day that Christ rose from the dead, which is the third day, not the Sabbath. And so I think that's been the tradition. That's why it's been a Sunday. So I think traditionally within the church, that's the rationale for why we worship on that day. Whether or not that is like, it's never actually said anywhere in scripture as a prescription, is it? No, no. It's the practice. I'm but trying to... Um I was searching if I could find the terms, but I could not because I did not know the proper thing to Google. But there's, <laughs> they there's, say Google can solve everything, and they lie. Liars. The 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 two views that often exist um, around issues like this are: are Christians only allowed to do what the Bible uh, expressly commands? Right. Or are Christians free to do things as long as the Bible doesn't expressly prohibit it? Right. So there's two technical terms, but the idea basically mm -hmm. that, that if we're only allowed to do what the Bible expressly permits, then you have a narrower set of 
circumstances and guidelines and practices that we can do because to do something outside of what the Bible permits or, or, uh, teaches explicitly is to act sinfully or, I mean, I don't think it's unfair to say people would call it sinful. I've, I've heard people, I haven't heard MacArthur himself say it because I just haven't followed the links, but I've heard people say that MacArthur will use language of, of, of sinful. So like for, for some instance, some people will say we can only sing Psalms from the Bible right. in our churches because it says to sing hymns, Psalms and spiritual songs, right? Right. Like that kind of idea where yep. the scripture says something, so that's all we can do. Yep. We can't have any free freedom yep. outside of so, that. So don't write new music. Yeah. Let's sing through the Psalter is, yeah. is part of the argument. So uh, we are a church, our, our tradition falls in the category that says, as long as the Bible says to not, as long as we're not doing something the Bible tells us not to not, do, not to Let, do. like yeah. we, we, we have the viewpoint that we have some freedom in how we organize and plan our, our gathering services. Um, obviously there are principles, especially in first Corinthians that we need to pay attention to in terms of its order and its clarity and some other hospitality things, hospitality, and, all kinds of yeah. issues. But as long as you're getting those things right, there's, there's a big playground that you can be in where it's okay. We would place a Saturday night service as a part of that larger playground yeah. that it's a, it's a thing that we do. It's a practice we implement to try to, uh, gather people together to worship the Lord, uh, in a way that's going to encourage people in the faith and glorify God. Yeah. And so, um, some traditions would say that that's a, it's a misstep on our part to do that. Um, and they're, they're free to critique us. Um, but I don't, I don't think people need to be concerned about us doing something contrary to what God would intend of us mm -hmm. because we're choosing to include as a part of our weekend gathering a Saturday evening service. Because I would want to ask the question, I'm pretty sure that John Piper and John MacArthur's churches would have midweek ministries that are meeting where there's some sort of Bible study and some sort of worship. They, they would probably, in fairness to them, they would probably say that there's a distinctly different thing between a weekend people thing gathering and, together yeah. to encourage one another in the Lord mm. and the specific intentional weekly gathering of a local church. Um, and so... So yeah, I think they would say, yeah, you can do your midweek programs all you want. That's great. That's not church. Hmm. That's just something that you guys do to encourage one another, other strategies you employ, a community group, that kind of stuff, which I, I'm actually with them on that definition that I think the church gathered uh, in our, in your, whenever you decide your church is going to gather together as a body of believers, a whole family. That, yeah. that's church. We do other things as a body of believers to try to encourage one another, other strategies we employ, like having youth groups and young adults groups and men's and women's Bible studies, but all of those groups individually are not the church. The, the church gathered as, as Northview in our context is on the weekend services. And so, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question. I would say, um, it, it would be if someone is feeling significantly that this is like a break in their conscience, I would say, yeah. well, we have Christian freedom. We, thing, we right? have stuff going on Sunday mornings too. You yeah. don't have to come Saturday night and Sunday night. Right. That's right. Exactly. So it's not, it's not just, it's not that we're only offering something on Saturday night. No, I could see, I could see an argument of people saying, look, why, why wouldn't you want, if the church has historically celebrated the Lord's day and gathered on together Sunday. as a church on Sunday, why would you not want to have a service on Sunday? That argument I would be a little bit more warm to. Mm -hmm. Like if they were saying no church on Sunday, but meet well, on only Saturday. Saturday. Right. Only right. Saturday. Then yeah. I would say, eh, That's, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe... Maybe not. 
but I, I still wouldn't call it sinful. I would just, I think, I mean, I would be mostly pragmatist. I'd say I think people in this area think churches on Sundays. And so you're going to be missing out on visitors if you don't have something on Sunday morning. But anyways. Super. Guys, we're out of uh, content. We've run the race. We've persevered (laughs) through this podcast. As Hebrews talks about, any last things you want to add? Any topics that are just tickling your brain that uh, you just want to, you know, got any beef, Greg, that you want to... uh, you know, a little hot take that you want to do? Mm. I got a hot take for you. Do it. Here's a, a public service announcement. Do it. I went and saw Tomb Raider last night. <laughs> Don't go see Tomb Raider. <laughs> Don't you spend like your 15 it. bucks? Yeah. No, it was just really... Oh, it was all scene points. So that's that was the silver okay. lining right there. Mm. I was entertained for two hours. For free. But my... the For free. But the amount of believability uh. of... Um, plausibility in that movie was just terrible. Yeah. It was almost like she should have died more than Tom Cruise in more movies, like most mm. movies. You know how you watch Mission Impossible, you're like, how is Tom Cruise not dead? Yeah, yeah. How did he survive that? Yeah. He wiped out on a motorcycle with no padding yeah. going 100? How is he not? And he just pops back up. Pops back up. Little, yeah. little not even disheveled. Yeah. Totally. And um, this one was, I mean, the the primer at the end, the, the perfect finish to it was um th- there's a helicopter that comes and they they want to demand give a ride back and you see one character pointing a gun at the helicopter saying you know give me give us a ride yeah and then she's standing there pointing a bow and arrow at the helicopter mm. and that to me kind of epitomized the whole movie there's my hot take hot take greg you just yeah, gave away the ending sorry you just gave away the ending anyways kind of yeah yeah maybe Anyways, um, well, maybe that's the beginning. I don't know. Ending of act one. That's a good hot take. I got nothing to add to good people in podcast land. It's more of a a public service announcement, Greg. No, it's good. Yeah, you're right. So I I did that for you because I care about you. My only update is that I've still not played Fortnite. Oh, yeah. And Jeff has allegedly played it. I was told I was supposed to and I had not yet. Well, Jeff didn't show up and he said he would. So I guess you're You're fine. You're safe. You won't get fired this week. There you go. Well, this has been another phenomenal, groundbreaking international episode of The Extra Podcast. Join us next week as Jeff shows us how to make balloon animals. (laughs) 